In writing this book, we spent over 100 hours with leaders across different communities to learn the, the barriers of different job-seeking communities. And I have to say, I, I walked away realizing there is always a new story to hear. There's always a new challenge to uncover. There's always a, a new, you know, challenge, you know, a new, a new issue that a community faces that I wasn't aware of. And so as leaders, that kind of collective awareness is just going to continue to fuel this work. You're listening to the Start Right Now podcast, and I'm your host, Chloe McKenzie. I'm excited to help you get off the sidelines and finally step into your calling. So let's get started right now. Welcome back to another episode of the Start Right Now podcast. We're doing something a little bit different today. It's amazing how things happen, timing lines up, because I probably wouldn't have been prepared to have had such a deep conversation about this topic until up until a couple of months ago, where I transitioned from day-to-day marketing on the agency side to leading HR for another agency. So today's topic, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're a leader in an organization, whether you are thinking about your first business that is about to scale, this is going to be a super relevant conversation for everyone. Today, we are talking about unconscious bias. We are talking about hiring a diverse workforce. We are talking about all the opportunities that are available to us when we think and broaden the spectrum of the people that we invite into our businesses, our communities, and our lives. And I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today because he really is a seasoned expert and was doing this work before it became really on people's radar, as we know, um, in the middle of the pandemic last year. So I'm introducing you today to Arthur Wood. He is a social entrepreneur. He's an LGBTQ speaker on equity and inclusion, and he is a leader working at the intersection of diverse teams and technology. Forbes 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 by BEQ. So he's super accomplished. Um, But more than anything, he's very knowledgeable and really going to have a candid conversation about why this topic should be on your mind, whether you've got one employee or 1000. So welcome to the show, Arthur. Thank you, Chloe. Great to be here. Seriously. No, I'm I'm really thrilled that we're going to have this conversation because literally this is something that is keeping me up at night, something that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about in that I am on a team and like many organizations, we're thinking a lot about what does it mean today to have a diverse and inclusive workforce? What does it mean to bring in talent that is really reflective of our country, of our community, and of, you know, the people that surround us, right? So uh, I know that you're going to be able to give me something literally I can take away into my work tomorrow. So trust me, I'm very thrilled we're going to start this today. You can go apply this tomorrow, first thing in the morning. That's perfect. Amazing. Well, give us some context then. How did you come to do this work? Yeah, it's a great question, Floyd. For me, it started actually in college. I, you know, I grew up um, in a rural town in Northern California. I I was um, in a largely evangelical community. And I came out in the LGBTQ community halfway through college. And when I entered my very first corporate job, I was unclear of how I should represent this part of my identity. It was a kind of new part of my identity. And when I overheard homophobic slurs in the hiring process, I basically shut down. And found myself in, in basically my first few years of my career hiding this important aspect of my identity, um, not feeling safe at work. And, you know, I had the opportunity to really 
uh, enter a new team and a new company where I was embraced. I was I was empowered to be myself. I was able to come out at work and that personal transformation of going from feeling unsafe at work and feeling not my full self to being embraced and empowered and and with a sense of safety. It was this it, almost renaissance. It was this transformation that I said, "Wow, if I." I can only imagine the stories of so many other people who walk into a hiring process every day um, and don't feel safe, don't feel like they can represent who they are and um, spend their lives at work in a, in a, in a, in a way that um, isn't empowering. And when we, when we think about the, the, the time that we actually spend in our jobs every day, that crossed my mind. And I said, this is exactly where I want to dedicate my, my career. You know, how, how can we create environments where uh, people are celebrated, where we have equitable systems, where you know, we can um, build a workforce that equally represents society. And so for the last 15 years, really, I've been in the HR technology space and have been kind of at the helm of different nonprofits and for-profits focused on diversity. Mm. Well, I love the the story. And obviously, your, your why is going to be very strong as it relates to the work that you're doing. So I can imagine the enjoyment that you get out of really helping to make very serious change for businesses that are big and, you know, the mom and pop shops out there. It's, it's, it will. And, and, and as you've seen, you know, being in this HR function, I mean, it's such an exciting time to be at the helm of this work. And there are so many organizations that have no lack of intent. They're just, they're just, uh, at, you know, at the helm of kind of the impact that they want to make and, and struggling sometimes with it. And so we have just enough uh, leaders now, critical mass of leaders who, you know, are all in agreement around the why and just want to focus on the how, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to put myself in the shoes of some of the listeners because, you know, we're saying HR department, but for, let's say, a mom and pop shop or a small business or a solopreneur, you are the sales, you are the HR department, you are also, you know, marketing and product design, and you're probably wearing all the hats. And I can imagine it's overwhelming, especially as a, a smaller, you know, setup to think about equity and diversity and when you're just trying to figure out how am I going to get my list done today and maybe hire my first person and outsource, you know, my first set of tasks on my list. So how can we frame up this conversation and what should uh, small business owners in particular start to think about at the beginning and the foundation for this conversation? Absolutely, Chloe. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to note is that small businesses represent at this point, well over two thirds of our workforce in the United States alone. And so Every small business owner, you know, who really does believe that diversity of their teams matters, it drives, you know, performance, it drives innovation, um, you know, shouldn't feel as though they're they're uh, removed from this this need or the possibilities of growing diversity in their organizations because they are small. In fact, I think there's an argument to be made that um, it's that that nimbleness that makes this work all the more possible. You know, we work with a lot of bureaucratic large organizations that struggle with this work because they have to go through so much red tape to make any kind of organizational change. As a leader of a small business, whether you're a solopreneur and you're you're hiring contractors or whether you're a small business and you're hiring some of your first couple employees or, you know, you know, switching out employees, um, you have uh, autonomy to make decisions, to to decide to, to, you know, take very intentional, equitable moves to slow the process down so that you can be more representative. And you don't have to go through uh, so many layers to get things done. You can say, this just matters, I'm going to do it. So some of the greatest change we've actually witnessed has come from the smallest organizations where leaders have been committed to this work. Mm. Break it down for maybe someone who is newer to these concepts. You know, we're living it, we're talking this language day to day, but 
you know, even to give us some language around what is what is unconscious bias and why is it historically even been a challenge to the point that we're having these conversations about representation in the workplace? The Reader's Digest sort of overview on unconscious bias that I always describe is that um, our brains, since the beginning of time, since we were being chased by dinosaurs, um, have been receiving 11 million bits of information in, in, in any moment, and we can only consciously process 40 bits of the 11, 11 million, right? So our brain um, automatically uses mental shortcuts to make decisions. And um, so that many of those, the vast majority of those are unconscious. And what happens when we're making decisions, specifically as it pertains to hiring, as it pertains to um, any kind of employment, if you think about it, we are constantly attributing value to certain things and, you know, a lack of value to others. Um, a, a great example of this is when we first look at someone's LinkedIn profile, within seven seconds, our brains are already, you know, adding things up, making, making you know, snap assumptions. And we, again, we do this as a survival mechanism, but it can lead to us um, sometimes unfairly attributing value or lack of value to certain things. And for example, um, when we look at someone's LinkedIn profile and, and we notice they didn't go to a prestigious university, they had gaps in their resume in terms of years where they worked, they, we could look at their name, their picture, many other things, we automatically are already trying to size them up, right? So what we, what we try to do in, in our tools, our resources, and some of the framework that we've developed is to get people to slow down and very intentionally invest in structure. So um, when we're looking at a profile, when we're looking at linked, LinkedIn resume profile, we're trying to look at the candidate's objective skills and experience. Um, when we're interviewing someone, we're not going off script. We're actually following a rubric and a structure, um, and it's consistent between one candidate to the next. So much of this is just about investing in really intentional structure. And the great thing about the approach and what, what we've written about is that you can do this work um, as a small organization, as a, as a single person who's hiring, uh, all the way up to someone who's you know, a team member at a larger organization. You don't even have to be in HR. Um, it's really about understanding all of these steps along the way and specifically the actions that you can take. What does it look like for, let's say you're the leader of your organization, your department, your team, your business. I love that there is a focus on process is there a step before that, almost like a mindset shift? Is it education? You know, how do we even come to the point of being ready to, you know, talk about these type of topics, first of all, because they're not easy topics to, to speak about. But is there even like just a baseline education that needs to, to happen in this process before we can start to implement new processes that correct some of those issues? Absolutely. So, you know, to start out, you know, we, we talked about the fact that we should be clear and intentional about what we mean by diversity, you know. So before we even get into process change and systems change, let's just talk about what we mean by diversity. There are a lot of leaders who, when they think about diversity, they think of maybe two attributes of what makes someone different. And sometimes those are couched in visible aspects of diversity. So what we've really talked about is the fact that we can become very objective in terms of how we think about diversity based on the cross-section of underrepresented com communities. We look at overall society, you know, ranging from people with disabilities to the formerly incarcerated community to refugees, immigrants, the, the older experienced worker community. We start to realize that when we look at our workforce, there is a gap in the representation we see in the community versus what we see in our companies and our organizations. And so part of our you know, foundational recommendation has been as leaders, let's, let's all just be really clear on the cross-section of underrepresented groups 
the unique barriers and challenges each face, um, how we can you know, build systems that work for everyone, um, and, and how we can constantly be building cultural competency and educating ourselves on the unique needs of people. And the best way that we can do that is by hearing people's stories, by never, you know, sort of believing that our, our, our awareness reaches an endpoint that, you know, in writing this book, we spent over 100 hours with leaders across different communities to learn the, the barriers of different job seeking communities. And I have to say, I, I walked away realizing there is always a new story to hear. There's always a new challenge to uncover. There's always a, a new, you know, challenge, you know, a new, a new issue that a community faces that I wasn't aware of. And so as leaders, that kind of collective awareness is just going to continue to fuel this work. So that, that's, a, that's one just kind of foundational thing I think every leader can really do. What's something that really stuck with you when you think about those over 100 hours and hearing these, these stories? What's uh, something that you like, oh, really sat with you? There is not a single community where we can size the community up um, in some kind of monolithic way based on one viewpoint. So one example is we, we, we did a lot of work sitting down with leaders from the disability community. And there's an entire subset of the disability community that prefers to be called people with disabilities. There's another subset that would like to be called disabled people. Both have extremely strong viewpoints about why that is and how they sort of see the role of disabilities and how framing should be. Um, and the, the answer is there's never one right or wrong answer. You know, there, there's so much diversity of thought even among each community. And so I, I, you know, I, I was constantly in this mode of, well, we need the playbook. We need the one, the one line of the, the best practice. And the truth is it, the nature of this work is that we have to hold the space for so many different perspectives, um, even in each given community. And I think that makes it complicated, right? Even a leader who says, well, I've done my homework. I, I know what we should say there may be a countering viewpoint, um, again, based on everyone's lived experiences. Um, so again, we, it's like we, we try to sort of reach this state of expertise and there's just always another kind of perspective to gain, right? Mm, I imagine there's, there's a lot of debate uh, as you go through your research and notice just the nuances of the different communities and, and whatnot. But I think what would always remain the same is the opportunity that exists if you are to build an inclusive workplace, an inclusive brand, what are some of the, the things that you have seen from brands that are really getting this right? What is the opportunity if you are to, to spend time intentionally building an inclusive brand or, or place to work? Well, so the brands that are getting this right, um, first of all, I think have acknowledged that they are they, they have to lead from a position of vulnerability. Um, so I, 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 I love using the example of one of our partners is 23andMe, the genetics testing company. Um, when, you know, the pandemic hit and at the height of the BLM movement, um, 23andMe had just come out of um, a hiring freeze um, and they were, you know, they, they were like every organization, you know, kind of navigating the new normal. And their CEO, um, submit, you know, wrote a statement that said, you know, when we, when we really reflect on BLM um, and everything, you know, that organizations are now kind of, uh, you know, exploring and grappling with, we have not only not been part of the solution, but we have been part of the problem. Our genetic testing doesn't reflect the rich diversity in society, and this is something we're going to change. So they embarked on this really exciting journey where they set up four pillars of work that didn't just have to do with hiring, they had to do with their brand, their, their, um, their, their community engagement, um, the, the actual development of their product, um, as well as their talent and their hiring, which is where we were supporting them. And this, this notion of just the, the, the humility and vulnerability of admitting to not, not having been doing the right thing 
and, and making a commitment to change and actually having a plan to do it to me was just so amazing, you know, and for so many organizations that were just pretending they were doing everything perfectly um, and not really being authentically, you know, genuine there. Right. Um, that was just such a humbling thing to witness. And so I think there's this new posture among leaders and among brands alike, which is admitting to not knowing, admitting to having a long way to go, um, bringing everyone along in that journey um, and, and being transparent, you know, and I think that's the new, you know, that's, by the way, what's what's garnering um, respect from employees, what, you know, when, when someone's choosing to, you know, you know, apply to a job now, they're looking for that authenticity. Um, and so I think it's just a it's a new kind of paradigm. And for a lot of organizations that is so far outside of the comfort zone, um, they don't know what to do with it, which is why I actually I'm excited about, you know, a lot of kind of high growth, early stage organizations right now where they're like, look, that that's just the way we operate. We're, we're you know, values are, are, are at our core and we have a whole different way we can build an authentic partnership with our community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do we bridge that gap, though, for a lot of organizations that might be really well-intentioned to, to do this work? But when it comes to, let's use hiring as an example. So let's say you're in the function of an organization where you're responsible for finding, you know, in air quotes, diverse talent. Um, and the intention is there. The discussion is there. But when it comes to actually interviewing candidates, making selections, making offers, finding ways to, you know, build that pool of candidates to one that is the diversity that you intend it to be. I find there's a real big gap between like what you intend and, and what you actually execute. How can, how can we close that gap? What are some tangible things we need to start looking at? Sure. So one of the great things I think about um, kind of going beyond the broad strokes of diversity, I think we, we all are in agreement that this matters. We should, you know, we should build more inclusive places. We should try to reduce bias. You know, I think in, in so many ways that 30,000 foot conversation um, has, has, you know, we've needed to pull it down to the very tangible, specific things that need to change. And that was honestly why we wrote the book. Um, it, I, I, I had written so many, I mean, I had, I had read so many books on the need for diversity, the ROI, come on, build cultures of inclusion. And people were like, yes, but how, right? So the way that we actually structured the book itself was kind of like the playbook, right? And it began actually with how do we set, how do we intentionally and specifically start to set goals around this work? it actually starts there, right? If we actually don't set intentions, if we don't define what needs to change, and if we're not measuring and assessing that, um, we can't expect, you know, to to manage what we can't measure. And 76% of organizations have not set diversity goals. So it's, it's a staggering number. And we're looking to 2022 and saying, this is the perfect time to be thinking about this, right? Just set one, one or two intentions for change. So it starts there um, and making that something that everyone's involved in. You know, two kind of immediate tangible things that we say, if you if you have, you know, extraordinarily limited time and you can only focus on a couple things, one of them is when we're writing a job description, let's not write it in a way that is about setting high barriers and excluding people. Let's actually set set the requirements of that job such that they recognize that people from unconventional backgrounds, that the nature of of recruiting someone who is um, of, of rich diversity means they probably don't have the exact same experience as the cookie cutter person you might have envisioned as the perfect candidate for the job. And the way that we write most job descriptions, most role requirements is by envisioning this perfect candidate and putting these extraordinarily unnecessary credentials, 
you know, advanced degrees, all kinds of things. We layer so much into a job thinking we're going to find the perfect person. What we essentially do is we restrict the pool to a very homogenous, usually insular group of people we know. <laughs> and so the nature of actually changing the job requirements, you think about it, it's this fundamental kind of policy change. Um, so we, 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 we basically recommend remove degree requirements or pro provide alternate to degree requirements, um, remove preferred qualifications so that it's just the essential things you're requiring. Try to try to think about, you know, the things that um, that that you can remove instead of add and then really, really be intentional about the language that we're using. So many jobs are written. Job descriptions are written in a way um, that exclude people based on, you know, vague, uh, subjective, um, sometimes uh, misunderstood language because it's, you know, acronyms, jargon, buzzwords. So we have a chance to really just get intentional about you know, writing a, a, a job, a role requirement in a way that is extremely accessible. And that all of a sudden, if you think about that, that's the foundation for so much of, of what we do beyond how we qualify people, how we interview them. So that's one piece. Um, the second really tangible one is that we find the majority of bias shows up in interviews. Um, and if we think about it, whether you're a small business or whether you're a large corporation, you're going to likely be interviewing a person you're, you're going to hire. And the vast majority of leaders interview people in a way that is completely kind of on the cuff, off the cuff, you know, made up as, as they go. They're very confident in their interviewing because they've done it a million times. And without a, a, a structure and a consistent approach to that, um, we tend to introduce a lot of bias. So we tell folks, schedule 10 minutes of prep time before your next interview. Figure out what your, what your agenda is going to be. The three to five questions you're going to ask, what you're going to objectively assess, and it changes the entire way that 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 process now has greater equity. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There's so many good tips there. I'm like, thinking about my interviews tomorrow, like, hmm, where, where, where can we make some improvements? Th those optimizations, right? That's the, right. We're throwing 10 minutes of prep time into every leader's calendar now. And it's, you know, making a difference. Well, it does make a difference. And you're you're absolutely right, even in terms of you know, I think about there's a couple of things that I that I really got me thinking when you just said that last part. So the the challenge today is with this emphasis and focus on, let's say, visible minorities as a diversity metric, it becomes about still these very inaccessible practices. But all we've done is really found a, a token visible minority representative to, to fit into our very not accessible box of requirements, right? Versus like having an actual inclusive uh, and, you know, diverse, equitable hiring practice or, you know, cultural building practice. It's true. And, you know, I, I think I, I'd be curious your take on this, Chloe. I mean, I, I, we're seeing a lot of tokenization that's happening right now. Because, uh, you know, what, what, essentially what we're seeing is that corporations are saying we have a lack of diversity. Let's focus in on gender and ethnic diversity. Those are two things that we clearly have a lack of. Let's just go find candidates that fit that bill, bring them in. And in many cases, we're hearing from those candidates that they feel tokenized. They feel like this is performative. Um, and so we, we end up seeing this, this kind of weird backlash of, of the work. And it's coming from maybe a good place, but the result is actually sometimes quite harmful. So, you know, that that's a that's something I think that leaders also have to be really mindful of is that even despite the best intent, sometimes those actions can can create harm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, so true. What are some of the ways that once people are through the door, even for the folks that are not through the door, but you have these organizations now and you have people who are listening to this who are not in a function of 
bringing in new talent, let's say. So how do we build a more inclusive place for our colleagues and for the people working around us? What types of conversations do we need to be having? What do we need to be thinking about from a culture building perspective? Well, the the most extraordinary way we can empower our people is by asking them for feedback. We, we've, we've had a chance to, to cross paths with uh, Josh Burson and, and his team of amazing researchers in HR, and they found in a recent study that they did that the number one uh, basically factor in building an inclusive culture was by basically speaking to our people, asking them for their input, their feedback. We can do this through anonymous survey. We can do this by actually having direct conversations, but getting people's input. And I think if we think about it, um, you know, part of how we really build trust is by is by listening to people, you know, and, and, and ensuring people feel heard and that they're involved in these efforts. And I think, you know, as leaders, we can't, uh, we can't begin to, you know, tr- you know, guess that we're going to know everything or see everything. And I think part of the beauty of there being a diverse team is that you get perspective from across the board, you see, you know, you hear things from people you didn't notice and see, and that's how we build greater equity. So we just say, hey, whether you're a small organization or a large one, the, the ability to authentically, consistently get feedback from your team and make sure their input is heard is what is, is, a, is a great pathway to building an inclusive culture. Mm-hmm. It does sound simple and it makes sense, you know, making the time and space to acknowledge that the perspective is important and you're heard and you're seen. And uh, there's some real power in just acknowledging that, you know, what you said is as important to us as, as, you know, the person on your left and the person on your right. Completely. Oh, completely. And, and part of what we found in this work was that, you know, the vast majority of leaders and organizations have basically, um, you know, kind of isolated responsibility of diversity efforts to very few in their organization. And that's part of why we believe in many ways, these efforts haven't seen as much progress. I mean, let's think about the, the talent leader today who is, is trying to grow their organization quickly is, trying to plug holes from maybe some of the, the, you know, attrition that they've seen in the last year. And if they're the only people driving this work, um, and it's not democratized and owned across the organization, it becomes so difficult. So part of I think just, you know, hearing from people is, is, is getting them on board and, and, and making sure this, this effort feels like it's owned really across the organization. Mm, and how do you how do you do that? Then how do you start to enroll others? Because there may be folks that are part of specific committees or working in groups and focused on this type of topic and initiative and goal, but without the support, to your point, of a broader leadership and of real buy-in across the organization, things get stuck, right? So what are, what are from what you've seen, yeah, how do we enroll people and get more buy-in? Well, they're actually, we, we find this, this really kind of cool sequential uh, process um, and it actually starts with awareness, right? If our team members are not aware of our priorities and goals, and they're not aware of their of their in, invitation to be involved, we can't expect them to be to be involved at all. So, communication of what the priorities are, what those goals are, and how specifically people can get involved is is definitely step one, and it's the prerequisite to everything. The step two is we have to start equipping our people, and you know we've we've started building team based tools. Um, playbooks, training resources, we have to think of training and equipping our team as not an episodic, one time only unconscious bias training, and then it's back to work, right? We have to basically, you know, we have to basically start thinking that every day in people's daily work, daily decisions, we need to be equipping them with the the resources and tools to be more equitable in the way that they hire and the way that they engage in this work. 
Um, and, and a lot of that, again, is just by democratizing resources and, and making sure our teams are just really well equipped. The third is, 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 is actually engaging our team members. And that is, you know, we, we, we can use structure, we can use meetings, we can, you know, we, we wrote about a couple organizations that actually built committees, um, like cross-functional committees of different like DEI working groups as a, as a formal way of engaging their teams across all levels. And, you know, Horizon Media, one of our, one of our partners, they're a media company, they, um, you know, they have, I think, 12 different cross-functional working committees of hundreds of different team members outside of the talent org, um, you know, as a way of getting folks across the board involved. And I think that's a great way of engaging. And then finally, it's, it's actually holding people accountable. And, you know, we think, look, we, we should encourage everyone to have DEI, you know, goals as part of their personal goals in, in their role, regardless of whether they're in the talent function or not, you know. Um, and we see a lot of organizations starting to tie executive comp to DEI outcomes. And so, you know, th- that accountability piece is one, by the way, that the vast majority of organizations have barely touched. Um, and we can do this informally in a small business by saying, look, everyone around the table, you know, we're all responsible for growing diversity here. We're all invited. And let's all include this approach in the way that we set goals for ourselves and as an organization. My brain is turning, turning. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. There, you know, what are some of the resources that maybe you have and, and um, you know, things that you would point us to if somebody's listening to this, wants to further their learning, wants to start building those tools that are accessible and always on? Um, what are some of the things that you can point us to, either by you or by others? The most important thing is that if there's intent here, and if you're a leader, regardless of your role, if you're for, for the way that we describe it is if you are an existing or an aspiring leader, whether you manage people or not, um, regardless of your role in the organization, whether your organization is one person or 100,000, um, you have a role to play. And I think that is that sort of creative permission in this work um, is that we really do need everyone. And I think, you know, if anyone is feeling, you know, a lack of a lack of, uh, of, of capacity or a lack of capability to do this work, but they really care about it, there's there is work that can be done. And so we've definitely curated a bunch of um, accessible free resources at, you know, at our, at our organization, Matheson, which, um, you know, the website is matheson.io, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N.io. Uh, Matheson was the middle name of Alan Turing, who, you know, cracked the, the German Enigma code in World War II, but faced perse- persecution at the end of his career because he was gay. So we named the organization after him. And, um, you know, we, we've, put together, you know, resources like, you know, free interview guides and, um, you know, toolkits around how to, how to, you know, do diversity sourcing on LinkedIn. Um, and our goal is to democratize the, the work and research and, and to, to make sure that anyone who has intent to engage in this doesn't feel, you know, alone and also doesn't feel ill-equipped, you know? Um, so those are, those are, you know, a couple things immediately that come to mind. And I think the last thing is, you know, um, there is a growing community of practice of leaders and, you know, leaders across all job job types and organization types that are really, you know, committed to this work and, and don't want to navigate it by themselves. And um, I think that's kind of the power of this work is that, you know, if, if we figure out what works for one organization, it might not directly work for another, but there's no reason that that information has to be proprietary. So this is one of those powerful moments where increasing the diversity of one organization does not diminish it from another. All boats really rise with the tides. And that's really why we say in the book, we're in it together, right? 
Um, we we we're, we're here to support each other. Um, let's let's share resources. Let's share insights. We're all writing the new playbook for what this work looks like, and um, we'll get there. We'll make progress um, when we are really partnering. And it's exciting too. I want to. You know, there's there's sometimes this heaviness when we talk about these conversations of DEI, and I want to just reinforce and give people a perspective that they're hearing this. How exciting is it thinking about a future or a present where people are fully engaged, where people are showing up as their hundred percent? You know, if you're if you're about the numbers, that maybe for you that's productivity and your 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 sales are are great. But just think about the human aspect. How much better of a place to work, to live, to be in community when people can feel like they're showing up wherever they are as themselves. Oh my gosh, Chloe, you said it beautifully, and you're right that this work um, has oftentimes. I think a, a, a key thing we definitely found in this in all of this research was that everyone has a different emotional relationship to this work. Um, for some, it's a feeling of guilt and shame and frustration that not enough has been done. For others, it's a feeling of threat. For others, it's a feeling of uh, of, of excitement. But I, I think that that's something we really want to, you know, I, I think like you, we really want to breathe the the feeling of optimism and hope for the future in this work and also the celebration of progress, right? Yes, there is so much more we need to do, but let's also make sure we're we're celebrating when we're making an impact and when we are making progress, because that is what reminds us that there's a lot more ahead, you know. Um, and but that, but I share your optimism in the work. I think that the space will look dramatically different in ten years than it does today. Um, I, I, you know, so we, I, I, I jokingly does, tell right? people, yeah, it will. I mean, this play, this book, I hope is obsolete in you know a decade because people are like, oh yeah, we've done all that, you know. It's like um, duh, I hope we have to right? write multiple yeah. versions. <laughs> yes, yes. To, to catch up to the great progress that's being made, you know that 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 should be the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I love your your optimism, and I love that. You know, you've taken this up as your life work and, you know, just carrying the torch and stepping into these spaces because at, you know, to your point, and as you said, it's not easy work, but it's so worth it. And it's not comfortable work, but there's so much uh, possibility on the other side of these, you know, uncomfortable or difficult or just new conversations. So I really want to thank you for being on the show and having this conversation with me. Chloe, thank you. Thank you for your energy and for, for creating the space for this. And I'm also excited about the role that you're leading and how you're, you're bringing these concepts to life. You know, it really is that, that to me is the greatest source of purpose is, is just, you know, taking action on all this. So I, I can't wait to hear how it, how it all manifests for you and the team. Totally. Well, I'll be leveraging every resource that you've mentioned and doing <laughs> lots of learning. Um, please let people know where can they connect with you? Uh, tell us where your websites are, all that jazz. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, if you want to learn more about the book and about the, 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 uh, the resources, you can go to hiringfordiversity.com and you'll, you'll, um, see our organization map is in there. We we build technology that helps, um, organizations of all shapes and sizes navigate this work from a measurement, from a team engagement, from a, a actually a hiring standpoint. Um, and Matheson uh, is matheson.io. Um, and you'll notice that there's a community of, of practice. We have ongoing events. We do actually we have a book club uh, navigating the different chapters of the book and building conversation around them. So we invite everyone to come and join us, regardless of your place in the organization or, again, how, how large your organization is. Everyone's invited. That is a party I want to be at. <laughs> 
Make sure you go we'll check you that out. Firing for diversity, Matheson.io. So much good wisdom and so many good gems here today. I really want to thank you, Arthur. Make sure you guys go and check out Arthur Woods and all of his amazing work. And I hope this conversation today, maybe if this is, wasn't something that you were thinking about, has opened your eyes to the opportunity. Maybe you're living this challenge and opportunity every day. And I hope you've got some additional language here as you think about your goals, your intention, your impact. Uh, but this is a journey, just like everything else. So like I always say at the end of my episode, start right now, it's day by day. Start right now, little by little. Till next time get started right now.